doesn't say you're recording. Carlos, welcome back. Episode four. Hey, Matt. Welcome back. How's your day going? It's going well. I already ran my three miles today. Oh, you told me last night five. I was supposed to run five, but hey, you got to listen to your body, okay? If you're not feeling the five miles, just do the three, which is the minimum. I, I don't know about that. I'm going to disagree there. So if you were to run 26 on marathon day and your body's like, hey, man, just run 12, would you finish the marathon or not? I would finish the marathon. I would probably walk those last, you know, 14.2 okay. if I, my body only was able to run the 12. But, but that's But that's why I'm training. So that I can actually run the 26.2. And hey, that's not until November. I've got four months. So if my body says you only want to run three today, then run three. I ran yeah. three yesterday and I ran nine the day before that. So I ran 15 miles in the last not even 72 hours. So speaking of uh not listening to your body, are you familiar with David Goggins? Vaguely remind me who he is. He is a former Navy SEAL who mm -hmm. is on Instagram. He's very motivational. He has a great book, Can't Hurt Me. Um, and he's the guy who will run even while his knee is jacked up, but he gives a speech while doing it. I mean, he's hurt his body doing this. He's he's in shambles, last I heard. But he's like he he's the guy who's like, stay hard. You know what I'm talking about? Vaguely, yeah. The yeah. the running while you gotta look him up. Did he run every day? Or is he the guy that is a proponent of running like or did he run every like four hours in a forty eight hour span? Yep, that's him. Okay. He's awesome. Why why did he do that again? Why did just he to challenge hours? himself, I think. Mm. He's probably the mentally strongest guy on the planet. Human being. Bold statement. That's saying a lot. That is a bold statement. All right. I'm curious, since we're talking about fitness, what's your whoop score looking like today? I am in the green once again, 81% recovered. I've been in the green for quite a while now. It's been um, the last 10 days, nine days have been in the green. Uh, actually, sorry, last 11 days, 10 days. So 10 out of the last 11, I have uh, had a high recovery. Uh, my HRV today is 73, which is pretty high for me. It's pretty high above my baseline, which has been around 62. And my resting heart rate, get this, resting heart rate of 45 today. Wow. 45 wow. beats per minute, I believe that's what that is. Um, which is low, and it's a result of all of the running I've been doing for my marathon training. So pretty proud of that. Got a nice resting heart, um, healthy heart. All right, Matt, what about you? What's your whip score? Yeah, so today I'm a 96, which is four away from 100 for those <laughs> who are counting. Um, and I'm starting to wonder if... Right. Let's remind 96%. everyone it's 96% out of 100%. So I'm 81% out of 100. Right. And you are like very much right there. And I'm wondering if my whoop strap is broken 
because my last three days, today, 96, yesterday, 98, the day before that, 98. <laughs> I mean, it's the recovery is crazy. I'm like Superman, Wolverine. I, I recover super fast, apparently. My yeah, HRV I today is 79, and my resting heart rate is 49. What are your baselines? Do you know? Like why um, is it? Why is your recovery my, score so high? My average resting heart rate is fifty-three beats per minute. My average resting heart rate is sorry. My average heart rate variability, which is, is what HRV 70, is, 70, seventy. Okay. And my average recovery is I have no idea, but the last. I don't know if you could see that. There's a whole lot of green bars there, though. So for those on YouTube, it's 89-89, missed two days, and then in the high 90s the rest of the day. Rest of the days. So, Well done, sir. That's very impressive. Like That's, um, that's hard I gotta to be do. honest. I, mean, I haven't been working out too much because I just – so I just ordered a home gym setup, like a complete – set up dumbbells barbells plates squat rack everything it should be here in a couple of weeks i'm very excited for that but yesterday i drank a red bull and somehow i've got great heart rate variability <laughs> i assumed that it would send me the other way but i'm doing something right well done sir uh yeah i mean keep it up like it's not easy to get over 90 two days in a row, let, it, let alone three days in a row, and you're over 95 all three of those days, something's going on there. Um, we talked about this last time. There's an element of mental health that is that goes into the recovery score via the, oh, I should have looked this up between episodes, but it's like the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. I totally, I, I, that is not right, but it's something parasympathetic. like that. Thank you. There yeah, it yeah. is. There's parasympathetic and then there's the other one, right? Yes. Sympathetic. And, oh, it's just sympathetic? Okay. So I it's just so. okay. So and and that's it like what the HRV that influences HRV, that's all in your nervous system. So that is contributed. That's you know, taken into consideration with for the recovery score. So yeah, I say all that to say that maybe it sounds like you're in a good place mentally. You know, there's an element here of like you know, your your everything is going well overall at a macro yeah. level, and like it's reflecting in your uh, your your daily score here. Yeah, I mean, I can attest to that. Like, I feel fantastic. Baby's coming, first kid in four weeks, four ish weeks. So I have been feeling like I'm walking on clouds a little bit. I'm very happy lately. So You've, probably that. Yeah, probably yeah, what that's probably what it is. That's that's personal life. And what about in your professional life? Would you say things are going well? Yeah, uh, I would say they're going great. They're fantastic. There's, all right. there's an element here where it, it all comes back to you know, productivity and how much potential money you can make. All right. This is great. This was a great whoop section. Hashtag <laughs> whoop sponsor us. Let's dive in. To the first section of the pod, which is another segment of put up a number. Today, 
I've got a number for you. I don't know if you saw our podcast notes. Did you see the number? I did. Okay. The number is 80 million. And I have a question for you. $80 million. $80 million. How different would your life be with $80 million? It would be very different. I mean, that's that's for sure. <laughs> I, I definitely don't have $80 million. I, I don't know anyone who does have $80 million. Maybe I do. I just don't know it. But yeah, it would be very different. I imagine there would be a lot more problems, but also a lot more I don't care. It's it's a bit of, you know, fuck you money. You're in that a territory. That, that's like- a bit. You're mega wealthy at that point, I think. Sure. Fuck you money sure. is like yeah. $5 million. $80 million is next level. So I bet you're wondering what this number is. So yes, please. Why did you put go. up this number? Here we go. You remember from our last episode, the founders of Maple? Well, that was, I think that was a few episodes ago, but yes. Okay. I did a deep dive because I was very, very curious what happened to these guys. All right, let's get into it. So the founders of Maple, they started the company Maple, which was a food delivery company. You ready? They raised a $4 million seed round, giving up around 20% of their business. So when I say around, it's because I looked up, all right, what's the average percentage you're giving up at each funding round, right? They raised a 25 million series A, and the average you'd give up there is 25% of your company. So now they've given up 45%, right? Their business is not doing good. In 2014 or 15, they were making 40 million in revenue, but burning 16 mil on top of that. So business is not doing good. In 2017, they had a $50 million acquisition by a company called Deliveroo, which was a London-based delivery company, I guess, food food delivery as well, startup. 17, you said, 2017? 2017. And that is around the time Deliveroo had their Series F. So before I go on, I did a bunch of reverse engineering and you'll see how I got to this number. Okay. Can we, so, hold on, can we, can we pause for a second and just- Yeah, sure. What, let's remind- the listeners who what maple is because i know we talked about it a few episodes ago but we didn't we haven't touched on that yet maple is a delivery startup food delivery startup food delivery that, startup that had ghost ghost kitchens and would yep. deliver mostly so, lunches it was just lunches right i remember yeah. maple and i think their business model was they were trying to do the entire distribution chain so they weren't just cooking the food they were also I don't know if it was growing it, but they were definitely, they wanted to own the whole process. That was their idea. Interesting. And the founders, we're talking about they, who are they? So there's three founders, Akshay Navle, I hope I said his name right, Caleb Merkel and Will Gabrick. I'm going to get into them at the end. So, so let's come back. They've raised $29 million. They've given up approximately 45% of their company. And then they get acquired as a failing business in 2017 by a company called Deliveroo. At the time when Deliveroo acquired them, 
they were worth about $1 billion. Deliveroo was. Okay. So these founders get 50 million in stock. And then Deliveroo, they, they go on to work at Deliveroo. Sorry. Um, if you subtract the 45% equity and then another 10% equity to early stage employees, right? Typically you give your CMO, your CPO, whatever, whatever. They each get a piece of the business. That leaves each founder with 15% equity, right? So at a $50 million stock acquisition and 15% of the equity, they each walked away with, hold on, doing public math here. We shouldn't do that, but we are. $7.5 million. Oh, I did my public math wrong last night. So I'm cutting my put a number up from 80 to 40. But anyway, I, I said 15 last night. I was tired when I did this. All right. This is why we don't do math late at night either, I guess. So they, they each walk away with $7.5 million. Now, this was all in stock for Deliveroo. Deliveroo later goes public in 2021, valued at $5.6 billion. So at the time when they're able to cash out, their equity was worth 5x, 7.5 mil. So we'll call it around 40 million they each made on the company, on a failed business that never made a profit. There was no way it was ever going to make a profit. They lost 16 million on top of the 40 million in revenue in their final year. Kind of crazy, right? That is crazy. Okay. I don't think, I was going to say, I don't think it's necessarily a failed business now for them. No. They exited. And we don't know exactly. I mean, we might be able to find this out, but we don't know what their goals were when they started it, when they started the venture. Yeah. I would and say for, all for we, them, very successful. Yeah. For all we know, this is exactly the result they wanted. Uh, sure. They hoped to be a profitable quote unquote successful business. Uh, but clearly they, they built something of value enough for a bigger fish to eat them up and yeah. uh, and then reap the rewards. I, I mean, I generally think that's a pretty good strategy. It's a good strategy for those founders, for them, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> did you ever did you ever order a maple? I have not, but I have ordered on Blue Apron, which is somewhat similar-ish. Not exactly the same. No. Similar. No? No. So Blue Apron is like meal um meal prep delivery, right? It's it's like Blue Apron there there was or is plated. Um there's another one that's like Sunshine something, Sunshine Box or anyway, the they deliver ingredients to your home, like straight to your home that and then there's like five, eight, ten meals that you can prepare from those ingredients with a booklet. That's Blue Apron. Right. Maple was was like, here's the menu for today. And here's the um, you know, here here's the app where you can deliver or you can order the the lunch. 
and then have that lunch delivered anywhere, whether to your home or to your office. It was almost always the office. And they came in these tote, little tote bags that were distinctive. There was like, it was, it was brown and yellow and, and it was very fat. It was very well designed. It had a like, there was a great, there was a good, um, a great like eye or someone had a great eye in designing this. And so like you, you saw that on like the, the counter of um, reception and you knew, oh, someone ordered maple. Right. And I, like, I ordered a bunch and there was the, the food was good. The cookies were amazing. And honestly, the bags that the, the food came in, it, like I would use those to carry stuff home. So again, it was like ghost kitchens. Like you didn't order from a restaurant. You ordered from a ghost kitchen. You ordered this meal that was always like very consistent, very good. And yeah, you didn't have to um, cook anything. So that, that's the difference between that and Blue Apron. Very different. And David Chang, by the way, I believe was an investor as well. So there was a right. celebrity, you know, name attached to it. I think it helped with the funding and everything, of course. Right. So their bags were amazing. And I would say that their acquisition also gave them some amazing bags. 40 million each founder. So my put up a number was wrong in the beginning because I did late night math. I said 80. It's actually 40. Sue me. Don't sue me. Don't shoot me either. All right. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, founders. So Akshay Naval, I'll, I hope I'm saying his name right. He went on to work as the CEO of a company called World Remit, which is a payments company, which converts money across international borders. Um, I didn't do too much of a deep dive there because I didn't want to get too deep into these, but I did see a news article that they World Remit was acquiring a company for $500 million. And you can't do that unless you're a multi-billion dollar company yourself. So he became the CEO of this large payments company. Okay. Caleb Merkel, founder number two, he stayed at Deliveroo after the acquisition and became the CPO, chief people officer. Okay. And he's still there today. So uh, Deliveroo is still publicly traded. They're a $2 billion company where he's the CPO. He's probably got a fantastic salary and equity package. Um, I thought he was interesting because his first role after the acquisition was something like arbiter of projects or something, some interesting title like that. Kind of like the the company acquires him and they're like, yeah, you know what? Just go off in that corner and think about cool things we could build. That kind of title before he goes on to become CPO. I love that, by the way. I, I aspire to do that. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Like chief vision officer or something. Anyway, last founder who was a co-founder of Maple and a board member is Will Gabrick who interestingly was working at Stripe at the time that they even started Maple or a little after, I guess in 2015, he was working at Stripe as the CFO. He was the CFO of Stripe. His career trajectory went from CFO to CPO. That's the P is for product in this case. He was the head of payments at Stripe. And today 
He's the president of payments and business at Stripe. So he is a very high level, C-level executive at Stripe. When he joined, I, I did some more reverse engineering. This time the math is absolutely right. When he joined in 2015, Stripe, they were valued at around $5 billion. I think they were at their Series F in funding. Today, they're valued at $55 billion, and they've been as high as $95 billion. So depending on you know, the month we're in, his equity, whatever his equity package was, because he was there very early, has 11X'd or 20X'd, somewhere between there. He's probably worth a couple of hundred million dollars himself because of Stripe. And that's that's Impressive. the story, Carlos. What do you think of these founders? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the first guy sounds like a bit of a serial entrepreneur. Remit, what was it? World Remit? World Remit. I think I'm vaguely familiar with that because there are companies that you send money to countries through. Uh, in, like very specifically, I'm familiar of people sending money to the Philippines, Filipinos who are overseas sending money back to the Philippines. Mm -hmm. um, it's not exactly easy. There are there are services that do that easier than others. I think World Admit might be one of those. So anyway, the guy, serial entrepreneur, cool, good for him. The second guy, he's he he just stuck with Deliveroo. Is Deliveroo like the Grubhub of the UK? Seamless of the UK. Is that what they do? That sounds like it. That I, would make sense. Yeah. I mean, I think so. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. I'm just assuming based off the name, I not looked it up, but yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And the third guy going from Maple to Stripe, he became, wait, he became CFO of Stripe. He, so he, I believe he was at Stripe. I could be wrong, but I believe he was at Stripe when he joined Maple as a board member. So I, I, it sounds like he invested in Maple and then stuck on as a board member while he also, was already uh -huh. CFO at Stripe. So he's not, he was, he was also a founder technically, like are you, well, he was also considered a founder of Maple? Yes. According to Crunchbase, which okay. is where I got some of my info from. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I look those those are all very highly uh successful people. 40 million is what they netted or what they not netted, but yeah, what they got from the Maple vendor. Yeah, I mean that's based on a couple of assumptions obviously about how much equity each of them had and blah blah blah, but yes, you could say 40 million. Tens tens of millions. Tens of millions of dollars. On a essentially failed business with a successful outcome. And and I think char characterizing as a failed business, yes, absolutely. Successful outcome. Successful outcome, yeah. And the ideal is just, hey, let's like deliver lunch to busy workers in midtown Manhattan and, you know, in the district, like in downtown San Francisco or whatever. Because in my, like, in, that is like all the, that's, that's my impression of what Maple was as a business. It's like, they were just delivering lunches. They packaged it well. There was a lot of hype, a lot of TechCrunch articles, a lot of media coverage, you know, 
about, oh my gosh, look at this startup, David Chan backed. They've got the cute bags. Their cookies are good. And that was all it was. A lot of venture capital. <laughs> so I think the moral of the story here is that they got the bag twice. Their bags were awesome when they delivered food and they got the bag when they got acquired. Okay, Matt. Well done. Thank you. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. I heard you make that joke earlier too, by the way. I did hear that. Oh, right. I did. Well, I did. <laughs> the, it, the second time you acknowledged it and that's what matters. Oh, I, I should have acknowledged it the first time, but yeah, you're definitely in the, you know, you're soon to be a dad. So very much in the dad joke territory now. Yeah. You're qualified. You're qualified. All right. Thank you for, put, for putting up that number. I love putting up numbers and diving into it. So that was fun. Thank you. Yes, All right, you wanna, it was fun. You want to move on? Final Let's segment move on. Um. All right. So last segment for today is one that I've come up with and it is titled seven tips on monetizing a completely cold email list. I say I came up with it, but actually Matt, you're the one who um, suggested that we, uh, we, we, we do this topic. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I suggested it because I think it's an awesome topic. I think there's money in cold email as long as you do it correctly, which Carlos will have his tips for. And I think it's where most people start out, right? Like in your entrepreneurial journey in general, you don't have very many connections. You don't have a big network. You probably have to do some cold outreach, whether that's knocking on doors, emailing people, phone calling, and the tips probably apply across all three for the most part. So for the most part, let's go into it. Like so th these seven tips that I've put together, there's a caveat there. You, I'm assuming that you're selling something with a sales motion, meaning you have a sales team and uh, a system behind receiving uh, leads essentially. So this is probably more for enterprise level uh, teams and sales motions that can support enterprise level, you know, people. Um, so let me like, let's just, you know, make sure that caveat is clear before I dive into these seven tips. And, and one more thing before I dive in, I just want to acknowledge that all, all cold emailing is spam. <laughs> You're spamming people. Um, but cold email is better spam than the typical spam that you get into your spam inbox or your, you know, those, those inboxes or whatever your email client calls it. Um, all right. First tip on that note, never, ever send bulk emails. So if you have, if you've somehow acquired a cold email list of hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, never send one email to that whole list, right? The, the word blast is something that I still hear today in my consulting work. And the email blasts, quote unquote blasts, are what companies did in 2008. Like that, don't, smart companies don't do that anymore. They're very strategic and very smart about how they send emails. Um, so if you hear someone say blast, like, oh, look, can we send this email blast? Um, they're still in like a 2008 mindset. That's just my my opinion. All right. So never, ever send the cold, like never send all emails at once. 
If you have a smart email marketer or whoever's sending them, they're going to warm up an email domain. You're going to you know, do it a little more strategically in smaller, smaller tranches, which brings me to my second tip. So instead of bulk emailing, segment your list, segment it, segment it down as best as you can. So this list almost certainly will come with lots of data points. So you probably have a first name, a last name, hopefully a job title. You can outsource, uh, you know, a team, hire a team in the Philippines to scrape even more data from LinkedIn or from, you know, what zoom info, whatever source you can find you have, um, make columns, right? So give them a sheet or have them make a sheet and have columns with personal stuff, like nothing that, you know, you can't find on their LinkedIn profile, stuff like what city they live in, who they follow on LinkedIn, like what are their interests that they list on public, uh, public accessible places. And then you make segments based on that data. So segments of 100, 500, or even 50, whatever that number is, as long as you have a clear, like this is the group of people who live in New York City. This is the group of people who live in Brooklyn, right? This is the list of people who like baseball. Just have those segments, right? Okay, the next thing, the next tip is know what problem you're solving for. And this is kind of an obvious one, but I think it's worth calling out that whenever you're you're cold emailing someone, you're telling them about a solution that you have to their problem. So you're telling them, you know, you're you want to make it clear why they should care, why that recipient of this cold email should care about the one this email that's coming into their inbox. Um, it should be called out in a subject line and then call that in the body of the email, right? Um, and look, problems may be different for each segment and problems might be different for v- VPs of sales versus you know the head of growth, right? But the solution might be the same. Like their day-to-day problems are different, but what they're solving for might be the same in the same organization, right? Like I, an example, right? So like Matt, you're the VP of Maple, VP of sales of Maple or something like that. The head of growth, you know, they're looking at problems in a different lens. Anyway, I'll go back to that. <laughs> um, yeah, so you wanna, you wanna know what the problem is and wanna make sure you craft your message to present a solution to that problem. All right, so four, four more tips and then we can talk about all these. Um, my fourth tip is personalization. So in addition to crafting your message so that it clearly presents the solution to the problem, you also want to personalize the email to make it seem like you know, it's a one-to-one email, which it really is at the end of the day, but you're, you're kind of doing it in a little bit more of a, a systematic manner. So you want to personalize based on the segments, going back to the segments, going back to, right, so those columns, you know, if I have a list of people who live in New York City and your company's based in New York City, make that connection, right? In the first line. There's there's some there's gonna be elements that signal that, hey, this person, uh this 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 company that's called e- emailing me, they they went through the trouble of actually finding out a little bit about who I am, or you know, uh like sending this email to me as opposed to sending it to a list uh, that's been automated. And look, here's a clear, like for me, I get 
I think we all get um, cold emails, cold, cold LinkedIn messages, right? Um, and LinkedIn loves that. LinkedIn gives peop, um, teams the way, like a, a way to actually send cold emails to your LinkedIn inbox. I I have on my LinkedIn profile, I have my middle initial in my first name. So it's Carlos R, right? So I know when somebody sends me a cold email that's been automated with hi first name, right? Because it says hi Carlos R. And when I see that, that it, that immediately signals to me that like this person did not go through the trouble of finding anything really personal about me and like writing it out um, because they just used a, uh, a tool to just send emails in mass. Right? So you set traps on people? You know, honestly, it wasn't intentional, but it actually worked out very well in that I can do this. I can find out, you know, I can, I can kind of weed, weed out anybody who, any recruiters or any, any solicitors who are like, you know, not putting in the effort to personalize um, because they, it says, hi, Carlos R. If it says, hi, Carlos, I'm thinking, okay, I will continue to read. I, I, I will, you know, at least give the message some thought and, and actually some brain power. Um, and this is not an uncommon, like, this is something that I've heard before as well, this tip. Some people will recommend putting an emoji next to your name, right? Just to see, hey, like, who actually made the effort to do exactly what I'm I'm saying here. So uh, personalization is, is always going to win out over something that's not personalized. Uh, okay, next tip. Test your messaging, right? So you have you have the information about that recipient. You have your message in terms of like the solution that you're solving for, like the problem. You're presenting a solution to their problem, right? How you deliver that message is key is is important as well. So you want to test subject line, of course, but but what are you testing? You're testing tone of voice. You're testing you know these elements. In, in, a, in an A-B test, you find a best performing version and then you 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 optimize towards that. You double down to the best performing version. Um, and you do this systematically in those smaller segments. This is how you win out. This is how you actually monetize an email list. This is how you actually get leads and reach those KPIs, those goals that you're working towards. All right, so number five was test messaging. Two more. Number six tip is including a big ask and a small ask. So in your message, you're going to have a big ask. That big ask is almost certainly going to be talk to um, talk to our salesperson. You know, schedule schedule time, request a demo. Um, you know, hopefully not learn more because like, what does that actually mean? You want me to just click through and learn more? Sure, but you want to ask something pretty specific about like, you know, a next step, something that will actually move the ball forward if if there's, if there's, you know, if, if there's something there. A small, that's the big ask. Small ask is something like download an ebook or register for this webinar or watch this on-demand webinar. So, and, and those will be email gated. Those should be email gated. So basically you're not asking them to do anything like, 
scheduling 30 minutes on their calendar for next week, which let's be honest, is a big ask for anybody, right? What you're asking them to do, what you could ask them to do is, hey, like, here's something that's valuable to you um, that's included in this message. And what it does is it signals to you, the, the person who's sending the cold emails, that this person actually has interest. They're just not at the level of, you know, they're not there yet. They're not at that threshold of like, yes, I need to talk to you to solve my problem. They're thinking about it. Um, and so there's there's another segment for you, right? With the small ask, people who actually take action on that small ask. So I would include that. I would consider including that in your cold email. And then finally, I think this is really important. And this is this, you know, goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, this is all assuming that you have a, a sales motion in place. You, you want to do the math and make sure that cold emails are the right channel, are the right course of action for you and your business. So like, what is your product? What is your service, right? Are you selling to an enterprise level product, uh, an enterprise level team, right? Do you have a sales team? It could be one person. Like, do you have, do you have someone prepared for a two, three to six month sales cycle, right? Um, are you willing to put the hours in to do this stuff to actually make the cold email list worth it? The personalization, the testing, the the, the thought, the necessary thought, uh, and 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 care that goes into this to do this right. Um, so like those inputs, all those you know factors to consider. You can do the math and make sure that like cold email is right for you. Um, because if it's not, you know, the, the, uh, the, the alternative is that you, you're probably better off just doing, starting off with warm intros from your network, um, to get some, you know, early sales demos, early kind of leads combined with, um, some inbound demand generation strategies and tactics like lead magnets and webinars, and maybe a conference if it makes sense. And if you have the budget to go to a conference. So those seven tips, call the email list. That's how you make money off of it. It's how you increase your chance of succeeding, increase conversion rates at every step of the way. Um, systematic. It's, it's, a, it's, 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 you know, all those tips sh should combine into a, a pretty solid process. Yeah, that was fantastic. That was a crash course on email marketing. Crash course on cold emailing. Yes. Crash course on cold emailing. Do you want to just recap the seven? Just read the headlines of each in case someone fast forwards. Yeah, seven tips. Number one, never ever send bulk emails. Number two, instead of sending bulk emails, segment your list down as best as you can. Segment it down into certain segments as small as 50 or even 25, whatever it is. That's like out of this number of people, I'm pretty confident I can get one out of four or maybe even half of them to at least be, you know, show some kind of interest. Um, number three, know what problems you're solving for. Uh, you know, what is the solution that you're giving, that you're presenting to this person, to this recipient? Why should they care about this? email they're suddenly they're suddenly receiving in their inbox why should they care make that make sure you know why they should care i could tell you're passionate because now <laughs> instead of recapping you're just representing number four personalization personalization <laughs> personalization 
Uh, number five, test your messaging. That's how you go, you know, you be smart about actually making about, about that's how you make this effective, right? That's how you actually kind of iterate and grow. Uh, number six was big ask and a small ask, small ask or something that not everyone always thinks about. And then, uh, number seven, do the math, right? Decide if cold emails are actually something you should, you should do seven tips. Carlos yes, is... I am, I am, I am passionate about this. I know it shows through it. I think it's awesome. You probably can make people quite a bit of money. So there it is. Questions, questions Matt? I thoughts? Deep thoughts? Honestly, I feel like I'd have to come back to you with questions because that was a lot to take in. I feel like I just took a YouTube course. Um, I think it's awesome you set traps, inadvertently set traps on people and then use it to like... So you'll never respond to a cold email ever? <laughs> is there no, no... I respond. I respond. Um, if, right, if, if, if they're... If it's interesting, and if there's especially if they're solving a problem that I have, I will at least so, go down. I, you know, at least give it some consideration. Yeah, I think that it's interest. If it's interesting, bit is kind of important here. Like, if your writing sucks, you're not going to get people to read it. You know, can you talk a little bit? Maybe thirty second spiel well, on copywriting and the importance of. I mean, that's why you test your message. Right, and test test how you're delivering your message, and the tone of voice, right, and and you're making these guesses, these hypotheses, based on the segments, based on the, the profiles that you've created, right, like, thinking that everyone's going to the same and and they're going to respond to the same stuff is 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 foolish, uh, you know, the people who like baseball live in New York City, men, like they're they're going to respond to something different than a woman, the women in South California who love yoga, right? Like I'm just making, I'm making grand generalizations here, but I think there's something to, to be said about, you know, making sure you know who they are and like how to speak to them, how to deliver the the same message to those two people. And that's your best, like, that's, you know, you, you should still be able to like, uh, have your voice come through, right? Like you should still have a distinct brand voice or a distinct personality, but you know, you want to be conscious of those, that, that tone, uh, how you're delivering. So copywriting wise, like, look, I don't have any real recommendation. I don't want to tell you how to write, but I want to, you know, tell you how to like be thoughtful about what you're writing and who you're writing to. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Um, I will not, I laugh at really bad emails. Like if you, you're in my inbox and it's like you hired someone from some third world country who can't put together a sentence. And I'm like, ah, I like, you see right through that. It's bad. It's like, imagine like the worst salesperson showing up on your doorstep and being like, hello, sir, would you like to buy my vacuum? It's on sale today for, and it's like, I'm just not going to entertain you. I'm going to slam the door in your face. I actually, I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to sell solar, solar panels door to door. I don't yeah. think I, I, I do not think I knew that. I do. I did not know this about you. What, what was that like? That, so that it's tough. It's actually, that's why I said in the beginning that a lot of your tips are very similar to door to door sales. First of all, when you're cold, 
cold and knocking on someone's door, you're interrupting their day. Like they're having breakfast with their family or they're, they got their hand in their pants and they're watching the football game. They don't want you knocking on their door. Right. So nine times out of 10, they come to the door very angry. They don't know you. You've just intruded on their life. Um, and uh, going door to door, doing door to door sales is actually uh, it's probably one of the more difficult things I've ever done because most people are coming to the door. First of all, most people will ignore you. They'll like hide yeah. behind their couch and, until you go away. Right. The people who do not ignore you generally and typically are going to the door to tell you to fuck off. Yeah. So in the split moment where they open the door and they tell you to fuck off, you have to say something witty or interesting to get them to hear you out for the next couple yeah, of minutes. You need a hook. You need some kind you need of hook. A hook and you got to yeah. sink that hook in deep. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a hook? I, it, it honestly, it depended on who answered the door. I wouldn't I only did it for a couple of months. It's, it's kind of a hard, I think it's hard to make a living. I did make some money though. I, so I wound up selling three systems and the commissions were fantastic. So the commissions were 3,500 plus depending on the size of the house. So in like a month or two, I made like 15 grand doing this. How those, those times that it was successful. Why, why did it work? Did you, did you look at the house and like, yeah, have, so, you know, uh, these people need the solars and I, yeah, I, I'm going to so, tell them why. Yeah. And that's interesting. So in door to door sales, it's something called canvassing. So that's similar yeah. to email and like segmentation, right? Like, yeah. so we were canvass yeah. canvassing neighborhoods, looking for the right houses with the right roofs. You have to kind of learn about roofs. So you have to know uh, if it's an old roof, the solar panels might just fall off the roof or like break the roof. So you have to understand like what's a new roof first, what's an old roof. And then you have to know like what's um, tiled roof versus, uh, I don't know, I'm forgetting the material. But the point is you canvas a neighborhood, you segment down the houses, and then you're like, all right, these are the five houses in this neighborhood I'm going to go knock on. The hardest sale I ever had, which is somewhat interesting, is um, I knocked on a door and I started my spiel. By the way, I learned about solar panels and AC and DC currents and how to convert. And you have to like explain this to people. I sold solar panels to an electrician and he didn't reveal to me until somewhat five minutes into the conversation that we, he was an electrician. And I, when he told me that, I felt so out of place. Like imagine knocking on a doctor's door and selling them like medicine for heart attacks. Yeah, right? seriously. So, but, but, but he bought in. He entertained me. And the oh. only reason he did was because he bought it. He bought the system. He was intending on buying solar anyway. And I happened to be likable. So when, once I got inside their house, the goal is to get inside the house. Mm -hmm. Once I got inside his house <clears throat> and we were sitting at his table, he was like, look, man, like, honestly, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I like you. So I'm going to buy from you because I was intending on doing this anyway. Wow. And it, honestly, I was like, this guy's awesome. He was like, I like you. You look like a nice kid. I think I was like 24 at the time. He was like, I'm going to get you your commission. And I was like, oh, you're awesome. You know, I, it was very wow. exciting. Yeah. 
That's interesting. You're that's I mean, that's extremely fortuitous for you. Yeah. To like, you know, align with his needs already and just happen to you know, you were in the right place at the right time, but you also like you weren't a bad kid, you know. Right. So that helps. That's fascinating. I oh wow. Um I I do you think door to door sales still happens today? hundred percent. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever, uh, you know, the, um, what's the, what's the, what's the religious group that goes to the door? What are they? Mormons. Called? Right. Mormons. Sure. Uh, they, I've, you know, they've come to my door growing up, but other than that, I don't think I've ever had anybody come up to my door to sell something. Uh, maybe that's just a, more of a, a reflection of the area that I lived in, but, um, I just, I, yeah, I can't, I don't know. It feels like in this modern world that we live in, in 2023 with the internet and cell phones, smartphones, right? Like it probably happens less. It probably happens less, but I can definitely think of some sectors or industries where door-to-door would be very effective. So one would be solar. Obviously you're, you're, placing this service directly on their roof. The easiest way to get at these people is to knock on their door, right? Find them on a Saturday morning. Um, and, and now you can also sell the fact that you can, um, there are there are um, federal and state incentives, right? To right. That get solar, you feed energy back and you get tax cuts or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm- uh, roof sales would be another. Like you can go around a neighborhood and be like, man, your roof is fucked. Like you're, you're one bad rainstorm from needing a complete repair and to fix your second floor of your house, you know? So in that case, it could be good. Um, and maybe like other services. So landscaping or within landscaping, like hardscaping, you know what hardscaping is? Like no, um, what is that? it's the idea of uh, like paver, paver stone patios and uh, oh, retaining okay. walls, beautifying yep. a property. Now yep, with yep, that yep. one, that one's tricky because you have to, f- hope that the person has the budget to do something like that. But I would probably entertain anyone who came to my door doing that because I'm all about a free quote. Like if you're going to come here and tell me uh, you'll give me a free quote and you have a portfolio of successful projects, I'll take a look. I'd be interested in that. So it sounds to me like you're um, um, you're selling services that you can see that the person needs. So you right. you should you should be looking at the house and you're identifying problems or like things that they might be thinking about and you're presenting that solution right to them you know because you can see it with your eyes because you're there on the property that's a yeah. big reason why like you're not going to be able to see that necessarily you know from email right from a cold email right. like you know if you're not there and also right. you know the canvassing is is interesting it makes sense. You said something just now about the the ability for them to pay. If you go to, you know, Fairfield County, Connecticut, right? And you go through the back countries, you know, you go through the the areas in, you know, the rich areas where like they will, you know, probably be able to pay these hard, large sums to do this hard, what was it called? Hard, uh, hard canvassing, hard, um, hard paving. What did you say? Oh, um, hardscaping hardscaping right like that you know rock work is not necessarily going to be cheap right like doing pavement and making right making you know retaining very walls fruitful. beautiful 
you might yeah. get 50 no's, but if you get that one, no, that one yes might be a $30,000, $40,000 project. Totally worth it. Yeah. You know? And Interesting. I mean, the real quick last point, this kind of brings me back to my childhood. Me and my brother used to go around. I don't know if you did this, but we would shovel snow. We would cold knock on people's doors and be like, hey, can we shovel your snow for... And then they would always entertain us because we were kids and we would like negotiate. I think that's something kids don't do too much anymore, but they totally should. It teaches you some valuable skills about selling. Um, and I mean, even today, like if you come to me at, towards the end of fall and I got a bunch of leaves on my property, I don't, dude, every time my wife looks out there and she's like, hey, are you going to go rake those leaves up? And I'm thinking in my head, like, oh, I don't want to fucking do this. Like, I don't want to clean these yeah, leaves up. It's a up. pain point. You have a pain. If you catch me and you're like, hey, I'll get all these leaves out of here for 500 bucks right now, I'm probably going to pay you to do it. 500. I don't know. I'm just throwing a number up, but it, uh, I mean, it depends how much you want to solve that, how much you want to solve that pain, right? Yeah, for sure. I That's all very interesting. I, one more thought I had that I want to sh- just get out is you mentioned canvassing, you mentioned, and we've talked, you know, one of my, one of my tips is segmenting. Have you heard mm-hmm. of, I think I read this maybe on Reddit or somewhere. The guy, this Uber driver uh, who has curated playlists for, for their customers. So like, you know, this, uh, a bro white guy walks in the car or gets in the car and he might play like a, a jam band playlist with Dave Matthews band and fish. Right. Whereas like, you know, a woman gets in or, you know, he's got playlists that are like, he's, he's got good, he's got good music tastes and he's curated music to the, so that like the, you know, he's making guesses on, on the tastes that will match, you know, the, the, of, of the customer, the, the passenger and, and it works well. It, it pays off in, in, in dividends of tips, right? Like, like have they he, said how much extra he makes because of this? I don't remember, but he did say, I think that it was, you know, it's that level of like effort that goes into like the personalization that it does pay off. You're being thoughtful, you you know, know, this is to bring it back to software real quick. This is the thing we always talk about, about like every, there's so many Uber drivers out there and you could just be an Uber driver and provide the service, right? Like so, there's yeah, so many software a, companies point B. out that's, there. That's what you're trying to do, yeah. Right, providing the service, <laughs> but what are you doing for the people once they get in your car or on your motorcycle, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you should wow people. It works. All right, this was great. You have any last words? You wow people by thinking about them, empathizing, um, speaking to them and not at them. <clears throat> yeah. Like I could all like, you know, I can just speak at you and be like, I'll get you from point A to point B, or I could speak to you and be like, Hey, I bet you like to listen to, you know, uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, I bet you like to listen to, you know, Taylor Swift, you know, like, yeah. And let me speak to you. <laughs> Even when you're wrong, it works. Because I could be like, hey, I bet you like to listen to A. And they're like, no, actually, I'm more of a B person. And then you're like, okay, gotcha. Bam. And then you just play the B, you know? He probably makes some bank. All right. Anyway, go out there and knock on doors and cold email everybody. 
In a smart way. In a smart way. Don't spam people. That's the pod. All right, Matt. Good stuff. Talk to you later.